Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Hey, good morning. My name is Erin Herman. I am so excited to be bringing the message this morning. I've been coming to City Church for about 10 years now, I love this church, and I I love worshiping with you all. So would you guys stand together with me? We're gonna start, as we always do, with the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaches us how to pray as his disciples. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. All right, let's make Pastor Pete proud. Would you give someone a fist bump, a high five or a handshake? Greet one another before you take a seat. All right. All right, so if you've been walking with us at City Church for a while, last year we focused on the kingdom of God, what is it? And this year we're looking at all year, the kingdom of God, how do we live in it? And you're finding yourselves here in the middle of a sermon series on the parables. The parables are a way that Jesus taught us truths about the kingdom of God that are centered in a story. And this is a really effective way of teaching because if you've ever sat through a PowerPoint presentation, I put together a lot of PowerPoint presentations, at school or at work, you know, if you see a list of five bullet points, how many do you remember? Did I hear zero? (laughs) But when you teach a story, you're actually introduced into a set of characters, a plot. You actually have emotions about how different things are happening in the story, and you're, you're seeing how you're responding to this situation. So as Jesus tells his, his uh, disciples and the people that are listening to him parables, we actually get to enter in with him. So this morning's parable is called the parable of the unmerciful servant or the unforgiving servant. But because I have the microphone this morning, I'm going to propose that it's called the parable of the compassionate king. So... Take a look at it with me. Let me know if you think that um, I'm onto something. But this is all about the topic of forgiveness. If you've been around the church for a while, you've probably heard forgiveness before. It's kind of, you know, one of those simple things that we get taught. This is all about grace. We're all about forgiveness. But has anyone ever tried it? It's not so easy. It's not so easy when you try to put it into practice. It's actually something that I really have struggled with, with God about. What does it mean to forgive what, do, what is not the definition of forgiveness? And what is the definition of forgiveness? How do we actually do this? It's also incredibly weighty. I just wanna say up front that in this room, in a room this size, that there are gonna be things that come to mind that, that happened this week that you know are really painful, but we also know that some of those things we will move on from in a couple months. And there are other things that are gonna come to mind for people in this room that have impacted their stories so deeply that their lives feel completely redirected. 
And so I just wanna make space this morning that, that you could fall into one of those categories or, or somewhere along that, that spectrum. And I, I just wanna say the Lord is there for that. I think that we are here for that. Um, and we wanna make space for all of, of where we come in this morning. So I'm just gonna pray as we start that the Lord would, would meet you where you are, not where the person sitting next to you is, and that, that we would learn something from this parable this morning. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your grace, your love, your compassion on us. Holy Spirit, we ask for your indwelling this morning, for your conviction, and for your empowerment to live as people in your kingdom. So give us what we need just for today and grow us to reflect your image, Lord. This is our prayer this morning. Amen. All right, we're gonna jump into Matthew 18. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna be starting in Matthew 18, verse 21. And this is a little bit of context. There's a, a, the backdrop of this parable is that there's this interesting conversation that the disciples have been having about how you deal with sin in, as brothers and sisters in the church. There's this expectation that even though we're, we're expecting this kingdom to come, that we also know that we're, we're still sinners and there's gonna be hurt and pain and so there also needs to be forgiveness. So that is the backdrop of this parable. And then Jesus and, or Peter enters the conversation with Jesus in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Sometimes it's 70 times seven times. 490 times. So Peter jumps into this lesson and, and it's a really relatable question. How many times shall I forgive my brother and sisters? At what point does this become out of forgiveness and just straight foolishness? When do we just move on? Is there ever a point where we just say, okay, whatever? Or is there ever an appropriate time to take vengeance? When do I just not need to forgive anymore? And it's interesting, you know, Peter actually had a brother right there. And um, it, it made me think about back when I was a kid, I was part of a church, I grew up in a church where we had a liturgy where every Sunday morning we had our call to worship and then a prayer of petition and then an assurance of pardon. And in the prayer of petition, we were given about 30 seconds to a minute to just pray silently a, a prayer um, to the Lord about a confession of something that had, had happened that week. And then the pastor would return and, and say, you know, let's remember that we are saved by grace and your sins have been forgiven. And this is the way that we started every service. And I remember as a kid, I was like, man, I know I gotta say something. I'm like eight years old, 10 years old. I'm like, I know I need to say something because if I don't say something, it's like, I'm not perfect. So I gotta say something. And so every week on the dot, I would be like, Lord, forgive me of whatever I did to my brother this week. And I just knew there was something. I didn't even know what I had done, but I was pretty sure I had done something. So I'm pretty sure in my household, we got to 77, if not 490. All right, so Peter offers up this possible answer up to seven times. And where does that, seven, that number of seven come from? It was common understanding at the time that you would forgive three times, but then you were absolved of that responsibility. You didn't have to go to four so we can imagine that Peter comes to Jesus and he says, okay, I'm catching on here that 
that you're kind of up in the ante here with this forgiveness thing, so up to seven times? And Jesus says, now, Peter, I think you're, you're missing it up to 77 times. Is Jesus being hyperbolic? Maybe, but there's a, an interesting and important connection way back to the Old Testament that I wanna, I wanna draw on this morning. And we often call this the law of first mention, that when we have these numbers of significance or some of these, these phrases of significance, if we point back to the Old Testament of when it was first mentioned, Jesus has given us some meaning to it that we should really pay attention to. And I think that's the case here. So all the way back in Genesis, at the beginning of the story of humanity, we meet Adam and Eve. And as sin comes into their world, they then have two sons, two brothers, Cain and Abel. And if you're familiar with this story, the first brother, Cain, some say he felt jealous or insecure or ashamed or embarrassed. There was something going on here with um, where he felt like his brother Abel had the Lord's favor and that he didn't. And so he takes it upon himself and he murders his brother. And it's this first act of violence that we see in the Old Testament. And then over seven generations, that number of completion again, it's not a random number, we see this great, great, great grandson of Cain's named Lamech. We're introduced to him in this genealogy and we get this picture of just how far this damage of sin has brought humanity. So Genesis 4, 23 and 24 says, Lamech said to his wives, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. After seven generations of this cycle of you're sinned against and then you return that sin for vengeance, this is where humanity has ended up that when a young boy injures Lamech, he is willing or actually even proud to say that he has taken a life. It's not just an eye for an eye anymore. He has escalated it. And this is where vengeance and destruction have taken us. And this rings true in our world. This isn't just Cain and Abel. This isn't just Lamech. This rings true that when we're sinned against, we have this propensity to escalate it. So Jesus points back to the story, and, and Peter would know what he's referencing, and he says, Peter, listen, in my kingdom, in order to start something brand new here, in order to reverse this cycle of vengeance, reverse the effects of evil, it's gonna take extravagant forgiveness Jesus is looking for partners in this kingdom who are willing not just to give as the world gives, but to offer extravagant forgiveness. So let's continue reading the parable. Starting in verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of God is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. 
pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. It ends on a low note there. I don't think that's a surprise, but I don't want us to see this as a threat because I also believe that this God of mercy, he's often really merciful with us when we are struggling to forgive. That's one of the places where I believe that the Lord gives us the most mercy. I also wanna point out that that's actually the only logical point of this story, and, and I hope I can show you that when we return to the top, but the only reasonable part is that this man that owed 10,000 bags of gold and was unable to, be re, to repay would, be, would see his punishment. But let's jump back into the story right from the top. Um, I'll make three observations. Number one is that was a debt incredibly high. The king goes to settle his debts and a servant is brought before him that owns, owes 10,000 bags of gold. If you were here a couple of weeks ago when we talked about a talent, a talent is a measurement of gold that would be about 200 pounds of gold. This would be lifetimes on lifetimes on lifetimes for the richest person in the world. And it certainly wasn't able to be paid back by this servant. So there's a couple of thoughts right up front here. Number one, it gives us questions about how this king, what kind of economy he's living in, that he would allow this servant to have 10,000 bags of gold worth of debt. How would he let it get so far that, that he would have borrowed that much money? It's a debt so high that it would obviously bankrupt the government. It would throw the kingdom into chaos unless the king was living in a different kind of mode, unless he was operating in a different kind of economy, unless he was willing to perhaps take the cost on to himself. It's also a debt so high, like I said, that it's obviously not gonna be repaid. It's fascinating here. What does the servant ask for when he stands before the king, when he's called to account for his debt? What does he ask for? Patience. Guys, there's no amount of the king's patience that would get that debt repaid. Patience is absurd. And Jesus' Jesus's listener would know that's not possible. Either this guy isn't telling the truth or he isn't aware of just how far he's sunk. So that's the situation. This is a debt so high. And then this second part, there's this extravagant forgiveness, and it's fueled by compassion. Reading on in verse 27, it says, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. In a literal translation, it says, the Lord of that servant felt compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. There's so much here that this 
series has kind of taught me about what it means to forgive. So I want to take a a look at the word for compassion here in the Greek. The the word for compassion here is splanknizomai. Splanknizomai. Would you guys say that with me? I said it. You can say it. Splanknizomai. This is the word for compassion, and it's a compassion that you would feel right in your stomach. It's a compassion in our Western terms that we would feel like a bursting heart. It's a feeling of compassion, not just forcing ourselves to turn into forgiveness, but to feel a compassion right in your gut. It's not, hey, God says forgive, so go forgive. It's the sense that this king, the God figure, saw this servant down on his knees and he was moved, emotionally moved, filled with a sense of compassion. And this this theme of compassion across scripture actually speaks of God's parental protection over us. God is referred to in scripture with the characteristics of a father and a mother. And this word of compassion is thematic. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the prodigal son. And if we look back at Luke 15, it says, so he, the the son, the one that told his father, hey, I'm, I'm done with you. I'm gonna take the money and go. And he returns to his father after he shamed him, left him, and spent his inheritance. And he sa- it says, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, splangnizomai, for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This son was desperate. He was hurting. It was obviously his fault for what had happened, but that didn't matter to the father. He knows that there's no way out of this predicament for his son, and the father is moved with a compassion in his guilt for the pain he sees on his child's face. My dad used to tell me as a kid that there was no worse feeling for him than when he saw me or my brother in pain and hurting. And I think that speaks of this kind of compassion. God also compares his love for his people in terms of a mother. In Isaiah 49, 15, it says, can a mother forget the baby she is nursing and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Though she may forget? I have lots of friends with little babies right now. They do not forget their nursing child. You know when a baby, it's perfectly peaceful, you're holding that baby, and then something starts changing, and this baby's about to cry, and it scrunches up its face, and its face turns bright red, and it starts wiggling around, and then all of a sudden there's this explosive cry, and there's kind of, you can kind of see it happening. My friends who are moms, it doesn't even take the scrunch of their face to know that their baby is hurting, that their baby has a need. And so I believe that that's the kind of compassion that we're talking about here this parental protection that if you have a need, if you have a hurt, that the Lord would actually see that so quickly that the slightest wrinkle of your face, he would know. This is the kind of compassion that this king, when he's looking at this servant who's sitting there, he says, okay, I am moved to forgive this debt. This debt's gonna bankrupt the kingdom. It's gonna cost the king greatly, but the king is moved to forgive the debt. And then the last wild part that we're supposed to see here is 
The servant leaves with an unchanged heart. The servant leaves this emotional moment and what's his immediate response? He turns around after this picture of extravagant mercy, forgiven trillions of debt, and he goes and finds a peer who owes the equivalent of about three months of income. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. But he sees this peer and he chokes him out. And it's the same sequence we see. If you look at the scripture, it's this mirror image. There's a debt, there's a request for repayment, then there's a falling on the knees, a begging, a request for patience, and then there's a response. But this response is uh, totally different. No extravagant mercy, actually no mercy at all. And how does the servant end up in prison? I found this really interesting as I kept studying this passage. The the servant ends up in prison because the other servants are upset about it. It's as if they understand that in this kingdom, we are a people who forgive the debt. We are a people who show extravagant mercy. And as, as this law is broken, they're the ones that run to the king and say, we can't, we can't do this. This kingdom runs on mercy and this is totally backwards. And so at this point, the king becomes really angry and he sends the servant to prison. This part makes me angsty. It makes me, yeah, there's an angsty feeling about it because forgiveness is so hard and it takes so long that we're like, oh my gosh, are we just gonna, is that what's gonna happen to us? But I wanna call out two observations here that give us a little bit more of an insight into the king that we're talking about. First, do you notice that the king gets so much more upset about how the servant treats the other servant than he does about the original debt? When we think that our relationship with God is just vertical, we're missing out on the fact that God cares so immensely for how we're relating to one another. Maybe our relationship with God is more about, you know, how we're relating to one another and how we're evidencing his kingdom in our relationship. And then second, the king only gives the servant exactly what he wanted. And what I mean by that is if the servant wanted to have an option of a kingdom of mercy, he was given that opportunity. But he instead chose a a way of relating to debt and debtors by sending them to prison. And the king responded by saying, if that's that's what you want here, then then that's the way that, that we can go. But I have to say, we know where that cycle ends. And Jesus is saying that that cycle ends like Lamech. That cycle ends in this escalation. And I don't know if you really wanna go there. So as we close, we have a couple minutes. I just wanna close, as we always do at City, with, with feet to our faith. What do we do with this parable? How do we consider forgiveness and compassion and extravagant mercy? I have a couple, couple thoughts. First, what if, it's, what if it's not just three months rent? In a room this size, I know that there are pains and there are, are debts that are owed that are more than three months rent, debts that will never be repaid, debts that something has been taken from you that won't be given back. I think we'd be misusing this parable if we said, you know, you know there was 10,000 bags that you owed, so like in a dismissive sense, I think that the Lord cares so much about just your scrunched face 
that he obviously cares about the debts that are owed against you. This process of forgiveness is long and it is difficult. And so I just wanna encourage you that, that God cares about the things that we're bringing to him that are those three months worth of debt. And he wants to walk with us through them. So I'd encourage you, that that's exactly the thing that you should pray about when, when you're worried about the, the immensity of, of the debt that you are owed. Second, what if my debtor isn't asking for forgiveness? You know, we see this picture and they're having this conversation, the debtor and, and the one who owes, or yeah, who is owed the debt. Yeah, I don't believe that forgiveness means forgetting. I don't mean that forgiveness means condoning, and I don't believe that it, it means reconciliation. Reconciliation is a, a two-way street, and forgiveness can be done one way. Forgiveness is different than those things, but you'll notice in the story that the person who is owed the debt is actually naming the offense. They're actually in relationship with the person that owed the debt, and they're starting the conversation on what is owed. That's really uncomfortable. And I'm not saying a blanket statement that it would be safe or appropriate that in every situation that you would, you would speak the offense to someone else. But I also think we, we maybe don't do it at all. <laughs> and I think that maybe we, we underestimate the power of what it could feel like to say to a brother or sister, that hurt, that really hurt, and, and how it would take the sting out of it and how it would actually allow us to learn from it and how it would allow us to move towards reconciliation. And then third, how do I grow in forgiveness? If this is something that you're interested in, I know I am interested in this. I'm sitting in services where Pete's talking about forgiveness, and I'm thinking, man, I don't even know if I get this. I know maybe what it's not, but I don't even know if I know where to start. And I found great hope in this parable that perhaps it starts with growing our heart of compassion, that we would be stirred first in our gut to know that our brothers and sisters are in need of mercy just as we are. It often feels like when you're owed a debt that you feel like you're so different from that person. You would never do that kind of thing. But then as we, we really look back in our, in our Christian faith, we know that the thing that we have most in common with our brothers and sisters is that we're both sinners in need of grace. So my, my offering here is that to grow in forgiveness and compassion, we might start with the practice of intercession. That when we bring our brother or sister into the presence of God, when we name that they need grace just as much as we do, that we would actually be cracking open that possibility for God to fill our hearts with compassion by his spirit. So as we close, would you stand with me? And I'm gonna offer a prayer on our behalf that we would be people that would grow in compassion. And if this particularly hits this morning that you know you haven't been able to crack the code on on how to lean into forgiveness, and there's a particular need on your heart, if you're comfortable with it, as we pray all together and as we close our eyes, I just ask that you would put your hand over your heart, just offering that to the Lord as a, you know, Lord, I, I need this this morning. I need to grow here, and I want your spirit to come. I'm really, really thankful that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives in us, meaning that unforgiveness did not win, 
and that the Spirit is present with us today. So let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your life. We thank you for our, our great teacher, our great advocate, Lord, that you would come, that you would know us at the very depths, Lord, and that you would also allow us to be people of forgiveness. We ask you to strengthen us, God, from our core, that we would see our brothers and sisters and that we would see them as people in need of your grace, just like us, Lord. God, when, when faces and names and situations come to mind, would you allow us to pray for them, for their well-being, for goodness to reign in their lives, for you to reverse the effects of sin. God, would you allow us to be people who would give better than what we've gotten, Lord, by your spirit, not in our own power, Lord. God, we thank you for your grace, your immense grace to us. We thank you for your compassion, that you look on us with parental love and parental protection, and you would go to great lengths to see us restored, Lord. God, we lift that up to you this morning. We thank you for it. You deserve the praise. We thank you for your love and for your extravagant grace. In Jesus' name, 